Am I on? I am on. Uh, it is such a privilege to sit out there and worship. Man, it's been like uh, eight months, I think, since I wasn't standing there or not at church on Sunday, not at this church. So what a blessing that is. That was so nice. You guys sound so good. I can't believe that. I hope it's not because I'm not there. <laughs> But uh, I just, man, yeah, and Peter, that sounded great. Anyway, uh, let me read that verse again. I found out about that a few minutes prior to us starting. And so that's, boy, I'll take that as providential. Not, but. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to him. Listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Psalm 34, 9 to 11. Well, if you haven't already guessed, the sermon is called Fearing God. And I'm going to pray first before I start. <laughs> Lord, we desire to fear you. We desire to understand what that even means. We thank you that we can even come together and gather before you now. May you ordain the words that come out of my mouth. And may you bless them, that they bless your people. And we pray that your will would be fulfilled today and that you would be glorified. Amen. Okay, so the initial question is, what does it mean to fear God? When I say that you should fear God, what emotions come to your mind? What's, what's evoked in your mind? I suspect that some of you... Think of wrath. Maybe some of you came from traditions, church traditions, where, where wrath was pushed and wrath was used as a way to not sin. If you sin, God will pour down his wrath upon you and, 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 and you should fear him as a result. And that's partially true, of course, but overemphasized often. Maybe you come from a tradition where grace, God's grace, God's love to us, our love to him, is emphasized or overemphasized, where there's no presence of a fear of God. And, and even the words fear of God sounds really strange to you right now. Sounds uh, contradictory or like an oxymoron or something. Part of what I want to try and say today is that there should be a tension. I have this new thing that Nicole knows about. I always come up with book titles. I always want to write books. I'll probably never actually get around to putting the energy into it, and I can't get my homework done, so I'm not sure that a book will ever come out of me. But I always think of book titles, and I thought a cool book title would be Tension, but the problem is it would have to have a subtitle because that could mean a lot of things. And so, you know, just the concept that, especially in Christian theology, we often aren't in tension between two poles. We often get sold on one or sold on the other. Sometimes that's fine. Sometimes we're ordained to do so, and Sometimes those poles are the way to go, and that's what to believe and, and what to do. But I think 
at least as often, if not more often than not, we're supposed to be in tension. We're supposed to do this and this, or believe this and believe that. And so in this case, we have, we have God, and we have the fear of God and the love of God, or God's wrath, God's terror, you could say, and God's grace. So we, I believe that we need to be in tension, that it's both. That our loving God, the God that brings me to tears just now as I'm worshiping, also should inspire in me a holy fear. What lexicons say, a godly fear. One response to that kind of emotional, gut-wrenching sort of thing that how can it be that we should fear God is that that's an Old Testament idea and that we're in New Testament times and uh, Jesus dying on the cross and the grace there and salvation changes all that. And so the fear of God theme isn't really anymore and now it's a, a grace of God theme. Well, I would like to say that though the grace of God is enunciated more so in the New Testament, it is present in the Old Testament, and that while the fear of God is enunciated in the Old Testament, it is also still present in the New Testament. So it's still both and. The fear of God or something like that occurs something 100 and 150 times in the Old Testament, so it's pretty prevalent. I think just about, if not every book, has at least one verse, and then, of course, many books have many verses in the Old Testament about it. But in the New Testament, it's maybe, I didn't count them, but maybe 15 to 30 occurrences or something like that. But if you read them again, you'd be surprised. For instance, Jesus himself, he's speaking to the disciples before they go off, and he says, do not fear men, for they can only kill your body. He says, fear God, for God can kill your body and your soul and send you to hell. So, I mean, that's our loving Jesus Christ, you know? So, and we have to believe that those are, that's truth. Truth is love. And Luke even records that incident even more strongly. He says, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then just another example of New Testament is Revelation 14, 7. There's uh, the angels of the Lord and they're, flying around, and one of them says, fear God and give him glory. It's at the time of God's judgment. The whole summation of existence of creation has happened now, and God is about to judge, and our response should be to fear God and give him glory. So it's very present in both Testaments. So we come back to the question, so what does it mean to fear the Lord? Jerry Bridges is an author. He's authored a book on this subject. He says, basically, that it's better described than defined. And I've come to agree with him. I've looked at 84 passages closely in the, next, in the last couple days. And it's really hard to, to describe, to define, I should say, what the fear of God is, what the fear of the Lord is. But it's easier to describe it. So that's mostly what we're going to do today. In trying to understand it, we're going to look at not 84 verses, but a bunch, just to sort of glean from them. What does it say about the fear of God? What can we understand? 
There's three questions I want to answer. One is, what is the fear of God? Two, why should we fear God? And three, how do we fear God? What, why, and how? Before we get into that, I want to look at some of the linguistic issues, which they're, they're not really issues, but just in Hebrew and Greek, basically the, the majority of the words by far is one Hebrew word and one Greek word. And the Hebrew word is yare, and the Greek word is phabeo. Uh, it's where we get our phobia and arachnophobia and so on as fabas. So it just basically generally means fear. And the same with yare in Hebrew, it also means fear. The problem with both of these words is that they're really simple words, but they have extremely wide ranges of meaning. And they can mean from, you know, terror, you should be afraid for your life or you're going to get killed by a burglar, to, to reverent awe, God is amazing, look at his wonderful things, fear. So, and everywhere in between for that matter. So looking at the words themselves don't help us all that much. It's just important to know that here we have this theme of fear in both Testaments, and the same word used for the fear of God is used for the fear of man. It's just, you know, context and some grammatical, syntactical things that of course we won't get into now. But um, I just find that initially interesting that it's the same word. So we can't tell just by looking at the word. So our first question is, what is the fear of God? Simply put, it is many things, because if I just explained, the Hebrew word has a wide range of meanings, so it could mean lots of things. Some people have said that it means, basically, a, a neat definition could be reverential awe. But I think that's good for a neat two-word kind of definition, but it doesn't really get at it. It, doesn't, it only gets at the reverence and the awe, obviously. And so... <laughs> And so it doesn't really fill out the, the full meaning of to fear God. So I have three categories for you, three types of, of, of fearing God. When it says fear, fear of God, fear of the Lord, they could fit into three categories, maybe more, maybe less. But the first one is formal religious worship. Second is righteous behavior or piety. And the third is reverence and awe. And so the first formal religious worship I want to look at 2 Kings King 17, 32 to 34. It's basically uh, the northern kingdom has just fallen, 722 B.C. The king of Assyria has come in, come in and, and carted everyone away from Samaria. And he's taken people from other areas around the, the crescent there and planted them in the northern kingdom to sort of, you know, live there, take care of the land. It's what kings do and did. And, and so that's what he does. Problem is, is there's uh, random sort of attacks that happened. I think, if I remember correctly, lions are attacking the people and killing the people, and so they cry out, "Help us!" And so they figure out, or they assume that the reason why this is happening is because they're not fearing God. They're not fearing Yahweh, I should say, because there are many gods, of course, in their belief system. But they're not fearing Yahweh, the God of this land. And so the king of Assyria sends a priest back to teach them how to fear God. And so then he does that. In uh, 32, we pick up, they also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves priests of the high places who acted for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods according to the custom of the nations from among whom they had been carried away into exile. To this day, they do according to their earlier customs. They do not fear the Lord 
nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law or their commandments which the Lord commanded the sons of Jacob, whom he named Israel. So the point there is that initially in verse 33, they feared the Lord, but they also served other gods. But later on, they didn't fear the Lord at all, and they still served their other gods. And the point is just that it's an emphasis on... um, you know, priestly duties and sacrifice and, and the ins and outs of the law and what does, how does God want to be worshipped? Again, in Deuteronomy 14.22, it's the same basic thing, but uh, for the Israelites, you shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year, and you shall eat in the presence of the Lord, so it's how to eat, at the place where he chooses, which is another prescribed thing in the law, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and your firstborn of your herd and flock. So there's a listing of things that you're supposed to do appropriately in order to fear the Lord, in order to worship him religiously, properly, in order to worship him the way he wants to be worshiped and has set it up. So that's one way. Righteous behavior or piety is the second way. Leviticus 25, 17 to 18 says, so you shall not wrong one another, so there's a, a moral right, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. You shall thus observe my commandments, another righteous thing to do, and keep my judgments, which isn't just an echo, so as to carry them out that you may live securely on the land. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13 says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all his ways and love him and serve him and keep the Lord's commandments. Deuteronomy 17, and it, meaning the law, shall be with him and he shall read it. This is to the king with the the right duties of the king, the righteous behavior of the king. He shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn the fear of the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of his law and these statutes. In 1 Samuel 12, if you fear the Lord and serve him, you listen to him, you obey him. So another kind of do. Then I think lastly, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul just gets done explaining that um, the promise that God is going to come and dwell among us. And he says that we are going to be the temple of the living God. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, again, all these verses have some sense of doing right, being pious, being righteous, being holy. So to fear God in these verses and many others, it means do this correctly. Do this righteously. Perfect your holiness. Cleanse yourselves. Serve him. Obey him. Then the third part to what is worship, reverence and awe, Psalm 33, 8, let all the earth fill the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So that's a different word than the fear yare, I think it's gur or something like that, but it, it literally means to stand in awe, to revere, to be amazed. Psalm 86, 11, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. This is part of the verse that we read just a a few minutes ago. Unite my heart to fear your name. 
I love that verse. Unite my heart. David is saying, David, David. I mean, let that sink in for a second. He's not a kid here. I mean, I don't know if this is, you know, pre-Bathsheba or post or, or where he's at in his life or his kingdom at this point, but certainly an adult. And he says, unite my heart, you know, poise my heart. Give, give me resolve to fear your name. Teach me how. 112, praise the Lord, revering God, praising him. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Revelation 15, 4, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. So they're revering, awing God because of his righteous acts. So in summation of what is worship, we can say this. From these verses and other verses, we can say the fear of God is obedience to his commandments. It is learned by careful observation of all the law. It is hatred of evil. Pure and enduring. It is reverence. It is the source of compassion, the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. It is salvation. It is a fountain of life. It is the protector from evil. It is merciful. It is terror. It is the means to holiness. And it is worship. So it's a lot of things. It's a lot to wrap your mind around. So now that we have a general sense of what, we move on to why should we fear. And there's basically two broad reasons. Uh, we fear because he is worthy and for our joy, for our benefit. We benefit from fearing God. It says over and over in Scripture. Leviticus 25, I think we already read that. But in the latter part, it says, For I am the Lord your God. He is worthy. That's all he needs to say. All, all over the Old Testament, God's reason is, because I am Yahweh. I am a holy God. I am worthy of it. You shall fear me. You shall worship me. Deuteronomy 6, you shall fear only the Lord your God. Wherever it says Lord in the Old Testament, by the way, capitalized, that's, that's Yahweh. That's his name. So I realize for us it's a, it's a noun, but that's like saying... Michael, your brother, or something like that. You shall worship him and swear by his name. 1 Samuel 12, only fear the Lord, serve him, for consider what great things he has done for you. So again, we fear him, we serve him because of the great things he has done. And again, the same theme, Second Kings 17, 36, because he brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm. In Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So why should we fear? Because he is powerful, because he is sovereign, because he's the only one that can do this. He's the giver of life and of death. That song we started to sing now, blessed be your name, he give and take away. And secondly, in this why should we fear, we, have, we just did he is worthy now for our joy or our benefit. Deuteronomy 5.29. O 
Oh, that they had such a heart in them, they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them. Other translations, I think, use well-being, for their well-being. So it's for our good, it's for our well-being that we fear God. Deuteronomy 6.24, for our good always and for our survival, we fear God. In Job 28, it's the chapter on wisdom where wisdom is personified. So wisdom is written like God. It's written in the first person. It says, and to man, he said, wisdom said, God said, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So it's our joy. It brings us wisdom. It brings us understanding. In 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. The secret there is kind of a mysterious word, but it can be translated to know. So, you know, in the secret, in the quiet place is one song we sing. So there's this sense of intimacy. There's this sense of knowing God. It's for our joy that we know our God. Psalm 103, 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Think about that. Think about your earlier thoughts about fear, fearing God, wrath, and all that. The Lord has compassion like a father to his child, if you fear him. Psalm 145, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. So we get satisfaction and salvation from fearing the Lord. And lastly, Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. So to sum up that section of why do we fear God, we fear the We fear the Lord because he is worthy, because he is Yahweh God, for our well-being, for life, for our good and survival, because it brings wisdom and knowledge. It keeps us away from evil. He is our refuge and rescuer. He is our provider. He gives us compassion and loving kindness. He saves us and satisfies our desires. So it sounds like a pretty good deal. As hard as it is to understand, and as scary as it can be if you don't understand it correctly, all the evidence says that to fear the Lord is the way to go. So the next question, obviously, is how do we do that? And again, this is is an enigmatic concept. It's hard to, you know, even after studying this for the last week and almost nonstop for the last two days, I still feel like I just barely have a couple fingers around this. But here's some biblical examples of how. Deuteronomy 10.20, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, cling to him, and swear by his name. So serving him uh, in the Old Testament almost always is worship. Literally, it would mean to serve him, to you know, go to the temple and, and do the... Um, rights of the law before him to honor him correctly, however you'd like to understand it in our modern minds. But generally, it's to serve, to be before, to cling to, and to swear by his name. Yahweh God is the only God. He is my God. 
Deuteronomy 17, 19, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. This is the king passage again. That he may learn to fear the Lord, and he does that by carefully observing all the words of the law. Over and over again, fear is tied to the um, observation of the law, to obeying commandments throughout both Testaments. So certainly you could say, to fear God is to obey his commandments. Or if I'm obeying his commandments, I'm at least to some degree fearing God. Psalm 22, 23. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. Praise, glorify, stand in awe, revere. Psalm 33, 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe. Psalm 118.4. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say his loving kindness is everlasting. So we respond in praise. We sing gladly and joyfully about his loving kindness. That's not something in our minds that we normally would associate fear to. So it's obviously not an afraid. It's not an anxiety. It's not a... um, I'm so afraid of God's wrath, of God's might, that I can't do anything else. It's not that. It's that because of God's might, part of that is his loving kindness is everlasting. Jeremiah 5.22 is a great reverence and awe passage, a warning passage. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord. Do you not tremble in my presence? For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea, an eternal decree, so it cannot cross over it. Though the waves toss, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. So it's God saying, look at what I've done. I am almighty. I am the creator. I've placed the sand as the boundary for the sea. I like the way that's worded. That's pretty cool. So because I am this, don't you tremble? He's bragging. He's, a good, he's the only one that's allowed to brag. So to sum up, how do we fear God? By obeying his law, by bowing down before him, by serving him, clinging to him, swearing by his name, praising him, glorifying him, revering him, and standing in awe. Again, I'll read that. We obey his law. We bow before him. And that's, I think, both literal and figurative. We serve him. We cling to him. We swear by his name. We praise him, glorify him, revere him, and stand in awe of him. So as a conclusion... The question is, I guess, do you fear the Lord? A week ago, I would have said, I have no idea. I would have said, maybe sometimes, kind of, sort of, but I'm not really sure what that means, so I guess I can't really answer. And I think now I can say, well, for a lot of the qualifications, for a lot of the hows and whys, I, I, you know, I, 
I like to think that I do, at least partially, or at least try to. It's the attitude of my heart. But I certainly don't, I have not embraced the fear of the Lord. And again, I'm not talking about being afraid about anxiety, about uh, wrath that might come down from the heavens and smote you where you are. I'm not talking about that. If that causes in you a sense of anxiety that can't help you, that, that, uh, that doesn't help you, that pushes you further into, into sin. Do you obey him faithfully? Or do you try to? Do you praise him for his mighty power? Not just for how good he is, not for how loving he is. These are wonderful things, of course. But do you praise him for how powerful he is? For the fact that he's the creator of the universe. For the fact that he could end your existence right now. He just did. I mean, it wouldn't even be a thought. He's that powerful. Do you have a healthy distinction between the awesomeness of God and the awesomeness of a great movie you just watched? I am entirely guilty of this. Awesome is in my vocabulary. It is my vernacular, as they say. But awe, in almost every understanding of it, includes, at least to some degree, fear or tread or dread or uh, being afraid to some degree. It's not cool. It's, it's, um, it's amazingly terrible. In your relationship with God, does he ever overwhelm you and cause you to tremble for just a moment? And do you ask for that? In your prayers, do you, do you say, Lord, I want to experience your might, not just your love, but I want to know what it's like to be in the presence of the creator God. Everyone, biblically, who was in the presence of God trembled. Just as a conclusion, we worship a mighty God who is worthy of our fear and our devotion. He is graceful and he is a consuming fire. We must embrace this tension in order that we might become more holy, that we might fall more deeply in love with God, who is both terrifying and lovely. Do you fear God? Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand what it means to fear you that you would impress upon our hearts all the different aspects of biblical fear, the goods and the, the scary parts. Help us to embrace the fear of the Lord as something that is not to shy away from, but as something that gives us joy, as something that benefits us.
pray that you would be glorified, Lord. We praise you right now. We praise you in our, in our love and in our fear. We pray this in Jesus' name, who in Isaiah was predicted that Jesus would fear God, that he would delight in the fear of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.